We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and a question from David Lowe, back-to-back. I heard this morning on a podcast that Amon Ross St. Brown said if his brother had not left for the NFL, he would have ended up at Notre Dame. He loved Notre Dame. Thoughts on what that would have looked like? He would not have. He he would not. I don't know how well he would have fit in at Notre Dame, but let's just say he did. I mean, as a true freshman at U.S., he would have been a true freshman in 2018. Yes. So your receiving core in 2018 would have been Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, Equinemius St. Brown, Amon Ra St. Brown, and Chris Fink. I'll take that. <laughs> Amon Ra's really good, man. He's yeah. really good. He was really good at USC too. He yeah. just got banged up a little bit. And that's kind of been the early thing in his Lions career. Like he had like 90 something catches for like a thousand yards this year, but he missed like two or three games, I think. Like right. he's a because he's, he's not a really real big good. Guy. God, yeah, really good player. Yeah. His freshman year at USC, Ryan, he had 60 catches for 750 yards as a true freshman yeah. on Very that good team. Year. With yeah. Michael Pittman on that team, with Tyler Vaughn's on that team, with Velas Jones on the team. So it's not like he was like the guy. That wide receiver core was nuts, man. Yes. That was a really good wide receiver core. That we don't that, talk about that often. The receiving core good. in 2018, because what he said was is if Amon Ra was at Notre Dame, it would have meant Equinemius was at Notre Dame as well. Sure. Which sure. meant Boykin, Claypool, yep. Fink, who are the, who are a pretty darn good receiving core by themselves. Yes, you add Equinemius and Amon Ra to that lineup with Dexter and Williams. Equinemius almost had back. a thousand yards the year before. So I mean, yeah. two years before, yeah. two years yeah. before. Oh yeah, because yeah. yeah. nobody got close to a thousand yards the year that Brandon Wimbush was the starting quarterback. Yeah. yeah, but yes, as a redshirt freshman, Ryan, to your point, when they had an NFL type of you know a more of a passing oriented offense in 16 he was a almost a thousand receiver they yep. went to a more run oriented re- offense the next year he didn't produce as much if he had come back that next year with ian once ian book took over yeah I'll, I'll tell you what i i think they would have made the, the the transition ian book a little faster had those two saint browns been there because they would have known guys we're a we're a we're a pro style team like we we've yeah. gotta hmm. we've gotta be able to throw the ball yeah i think they would have done it a little bit quicker Amon Ra, great name, by the way. Osiris Amon Ra Equinemius. 
you, yeah. you have to rank, you have to rank those names from coolest yep. to least coolest. Um, Amon Ra, Osiris, Equinemius for me. Yeah, but Equi- I believe Equinemius has a really um, cool middle name. I believe. Yeah, uh, Emotep. Equinemius Emotep? Tristan yes. Emotep J. St. Brown. And his dad's name? John Brown. John. John Brown. Yeah. John Brown. Yeah. Mr. Olympian, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was a bodybuilder. Yeah. yeah. I got I got a chance to know, know him a little bit while Equinemius is here. So we had some fun conversations, me and his dad. So John Brown, yeah. man. John yep. Brown. Yeah. Yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Paul Hamilton with the question. Mailbag, would you consider the 2012 team to be a bit overrated? I think 2015, 17, 18, and 20 were all better. Thanks for what you do. Well, I can't say the 15, 17, and 20 teams were better because they didn't go undefeated. Yeah, They were more talented, but they weren't better. Because yeah. the key to being better, Ryan, is you win, right? So yeah. the only team that has a, a, a beef, the only the best team of the Brian Kelly tenure was the 18 team. When you compare, when you combine talent plus results, would you, you get, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could say, well, if this team would have played this other year, if this team would have had this, if this team would have had that, well, they didn't, they lost, they lost those games. If right. the 2015 team had a better defensive coordinator and strength coach, they would have been Brian Kelly's best team. True. But they weren't. Yeah. Cause they didn't have those things and they lost three games. The 20, the reason I respect the 2012 team is because they won and they didn't do so against a weak schedule. Like it, it, it wasn't like the 2012 team, Ryan had like that 2021 schedule or that 2020 schedule where like, yeah. if you'd have beat North Carolina and Clemson, that's the only ranked teams you played. Like they did in 20 of those five of those 14, five teams talked about 12, 15, 17, 18, 20, 20 was easily the worst of those teams. In my opinion, they got by because they, they had to play one good team really all year, mm-hmm. one and a half good teams. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, North Carolina, you know, talented, but not a, not really a great team. Clemson was the only really good team they played that year in the regular season. And they, they played a, a shorthanded Clemson team. 
and needed double overtime to beat a non-Trevor Lawrence having Clemson team. Yeah. Okay. That was not a very good Notre Dame team. Great coaching job by Kelly to keep that team together. I mean, that might have been Kelly's best coaching job when you consider all the stuff they had to deal with that year, Ryan. I mean, you, you play two games and then boom, your seat your team is shut down for two weeks because of you know COVID stuff. And then you get back at it like a month later against Florida State. You know, your Wake Forest game gets pushed back like two times and eventually canceled. You don't even right. know, like in March, you don't even know if you're gonna have a season. You know, like that was a great coaching job by Kelly and that staff to keep that team together and great leadership by the veterans on that team. But that wasn't a very good team. It just right. results. I mean, they barely beat a bad Louisville team that year. They played, they just out, they, you know what they did, Ryan? They just went out talented everybody. That's really what it comes down to is they just went out talented everybody. The 18 team to me was the best combination of, of they beat good teams. They had really good talent and they won all their games. But you look at the, 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 the 2012 team, they beat number 10 Michigan on the road, Michigan State on the road. They beat number 18 Michigan at home. They beat Miami 41 to three. They beat number seven, 17 Stanford, who finished in the top 10 in overtime. They beat BYU without their starting quarterback. And that was a quality BYU team. If you remember, ever got knocked out the week before. Uh, yeah. And and um, they went out and beat that eight and five uh, the team that finished eight and five. But that was a quality BYU team. Uh, that Notre Dame went out there and beat that week. Was that Tanner Mangum at quarterback? I believe them? so, yeah. I believe yeah. so, yeah. And that year, BYU lost by three points at Utah, one point yeah. at Boise State. They lost to, to Oregon State. An Oregon State team was ranked 10th that year. And then they lost at San Jose State late. They beat Georgia Tech 41-17, to beat Washington yeah. State 30-6. to That was a good BYU team. And Notre Dame went out and beat them beat them that year without their starting quarterback because Everett Golson got knocked out the week before. Beat Those a number eight Oklahoma, Hall teams were tough, man. Those they were. were they tough. were. Yeah. They yeah. beat a, a number eight Oklahoma on the road. And then, of course, beat Pitt, BC, Wake, and USC down the stretch. So th they got the job done, Ryan. It's simple as that. I mean, they went out and played a tough schedule and got the job done. I would say if you wanted to say that was the least talented of those teams – I would say you're wrong there, but it's a better argument because I think every one of those teams is more talented than the 2020 team. The 2020 team was by far the worst of those five teams, just talent-wise. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, you 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 were. The 2012 team was very talented on defense, not quite as much on offense, but you still had Tyler Eifert and Zach Martin and Chris Watt and Everett Golson and Sierra Wood and Theo Riddick. There's a lot of NFL players on that on that offensive team. TJ Jones. You know, as a junior yeah. on that team, there's a lot of NFL guys on that offense. I don't think the 2012 team from Notre Dame fans gets as much credit as this should because of how the season ended. Yeah, right. They that was a really good Notre Dame football team. It's the second yeah. best Notre Dame team that Brian Kelly had, in my opinion, behind the 18 team. Because what I liked about the 18 team, Ryan, is you had big wins. You beat a number number 14 Michigan, who did not lose another game until the end of the year against Ohio State. You beat number seven Stanford at the time, 38-17. You went on the road and beat a a ranked Virginia Tech team. You went on the road and beat a ranked Northwestern team. You went to Yankee Stadium and beat a really good 10-plus win or 10-win Syracuse team that was ranked 12th. You blew them out and and handled your business all year, and then you know you, you went and you battled Clemson. That game was far more competitive than the Alabama-Notre Dame game in 2012. So 18 yeah. to me was Brian Kelly's best team. 2012 was his second-best team, in my opinion. Yeah. It's not I feel I like Paul overrated. I think, Paul, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was trying to come at this from a talent, overall talent perspective, yeah. not as much from a team perspective. But even so. then, I, I still don't think that team gets enough credit. Ryan, there was a lot 
of NFL kids on that 2012 team. I mean, Ben Jackson just, spent a lot of time on that team. Matthias Farley was a starting NFL, and Matthias only started that year after Jim Morris got hurt. Right. You know, yeah. you had Zeke Mata, you know, plays in the NFL a lot longer if he doesn't have that neck injury he had as a rookie. Uh, you had Kavari Russell was a third-round draft pick on that team. Stephon Tuitt, Lewis Nix, Manti Teo, Prent Shimbo, Tyler Eifert, Zach Martin, Sear Wood, yep. Theo Riddick. Uh, TJ Jones. I mean, you had a Chris Watt. You had a lot of NFL players in that football. I think it's a very underrated, talented te- te- team from a talent standpoint. They just, they just had a really bad day against a really talented Alabama team. Oh, that Alabama team is loaded, guys. Like, yeah. go go back and look at that roster for Alabama. Like, that was a silly, talented Alabama team that year in 2012. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about yeah. to look that up, man. That that uh, here I'll give you a little a little taste of of what they had, Ryan. They're they're. Yeah. Look, Eddie Lacy and TJ Yeldon and Kenyon Drake were their top three running backs, all NFL <laughs> yes. players. Yes. Amari Cooper was their leading receiver. They weren't as loaded. Michael Williams, I think, got did he get drafted? Ryan? The tight end, tight yeah. End? Big dude. Yeah, he did. Like seventh yeah. round or six. Their offensive line, if I remember correctly, Ryan, had like three or four guys get drafted. You had DJ Fluker, Barrett uh, Jones. Barrett Jones. Yep. The other guard got drafted. What was that kid's? Juanjo? I think he, no, Carpenter, right? Wasn't he on that oh, team? Oh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, Carpenter Carpenter. wasn't on that James team. Carpenter? No, he wasn't on that team. I'm I'm looking at their their roster now. You had DJ Fluker. Let me let me type in uh, OL here real quick. So you had DJ Fluker was a first round pick. You had uh, Bear mm-hmm. Jones was was drafted. Ryan Kelly was a freshman. He didn't even play on oh, that team. Ryan Kelly was really good. There. Cyrus Kajando was a starter on that team. That's oh, who I was Cyrus thinking Blanche. of. Yeah. Uh, he was a starter on that team. So, yeah, that team had a lot of – Anthony Steen was, I believe, started on that team. Chance Warmack, that's who I was thinking of, not James Carpenter. Chance Warmack. went in the first round. Warmack yes. went in the first round, yeah. So uh, that was a really loaded team, you know. And, and Notre Dame had a bad day, and we came to find we come to find out that they had already kind of known what was going on with Mant Tide, and I think that was a distraction, yeah. and it just – they had a bad day. Like, does anybody think that, that USC – plays Oklahoma a week later in 04 and beats them 50 something to three or whatever it was again. Those are just kind of that day. That team was way better. You know, yeah. sometimes like Miami would have dominated Nebraska the next week and the next week after that. And the next week after mm-hmm. that, if you're talking about that, that 2001 Miami, Nebraska, they'd have dominated Nebraska every single Saturday. Right. Nebraska doesn't necessarily beat 2000 or 1994 Florida that mm-hmm. badly every single time they play they just like ohio state and florida in in 06 that was florida's day if they play a week later i think ohio state could beat florida in 06 i do they just had a bad day bad night well it's like it's like georgia tcu last year it's like tcu would have kept it closer on some other days but georgia would have won every day but but not 65 to 7 to your point (laughs) that was a bad day plus a better team exactly yes exactly yes yeah Good question. I still can't believe we saw a 65 to 7 national championship. I know. It's so wild. I mean, we're, we're sitting there doing like a live show. It's like, well, <laughs> by halftime, <laughs> like, well, now what are we going to talk about the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the show? Jeez, man. Bad. Scott L with the question Who'd be the one offensive assistant you would pick to do the best job? Who will be the commanding at the end of the season for a job well done or commanding at the end of the season oh, yeah, for a job well we done? Please pick one defensive assistant too. Max Bola is included. Well, so this kind of – I'm going to take this question from Scott Ryan as sort of a what are we wishing for? Who's the coach that we're wishing for? If you're going to – I'm going to leave coordinators out 
because I think mm-hmm. you, you need the coordinators to do a good job, some position yeah. coach. I'm going to go Joe Rudolph on offense because they That's need him to do a good job. I mean, he needs to yeah. do a good job. And defensively, I'm going out Washington because it goes back to what we've talked about all offseason, Ryan. If Notre yeah. Dame can be really good in the trenches, they're going to be a really good football team. I mean, it just it's as simple yeah. as that. So to me, it's those two guys. Yes, I want to see Max Bullard do a good job. And honestly, I think he is. But it doesn't matter how good of a coach he is or Mike Mickens is or Chris O'Leary is of how Washington's group is not balling. If those other guys are just solid assistants, but now Washington's D-line is just dominant, then guess what? They're good. The other assistants are going to look better. I've, right. I believe this to be true, Ryan, even in today's era of football, especially in college. If you can dominate the trenches, you still have a chance to be a great championship caliber team. It, it, it's no longer a requirement as much as it used to be, but name me the team in the in college football in the last 10 years that dominate that that was a champion without a dominant trenches, at least on an elite line, at least on one side. I think there's only one exception. And LSU, and, and maybe they were, and, but they were still good, yeah. really good on both sides. They had like three or four of their offensive line were got drafted. They were solid players. I, I, like they I were think they may have unit. gotten overdrafted because of the. I, I would agree with though. that. But Lloyd yeah. Cushenberry's going into what year two as a starter for the Broncos, and yeah, he may not be that good of a one. But like the point is, they weren't bad. That's what I'm saying. Well, they right? definitely like, weren't they bad. Weren't, they yeah. were good on both sides of the ball. They just weren't elite. Like Clemson 18 and 16, especially 18, was not elite on the offensive line. They were good, but they were elite on the defensive side of the ball. To me, you have to be either great on both sides or truly elite on one and good on the other to be a championship team. The only exception is a team that scored about 50 points a game. That's the exception. I mean, in actually averaged 50 points in the postseason because didn't LSU score like 42 against Clemson? And then like something sixty like something against Oklahoma, yeah. In the semis, Oklahoma, they called they called off the dogs against Oklahoma. Oh my too. gosh, that game could have been way worse. Yeah, way worse. Way Seven worse. total touchdowns from Burrow in the first half, and they're first just like, half. yeah, yeah. Done. exactly, exactly. I, I think they well, played up like one series in their life in the second half. They're like, all right, you're good, buddy. Go put it on. Yeah, ice. They, they scored 105 points in the playoff two playoff games, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't need an elite defensive line to do that, sure, but they were still good. So I still think yeah. that that would be my Ryan. Who would be your who? What would your pick be? Uh, it's the same. I know it's boring. I, I like to you know kind of give different outlooks, but I mean offensive line because I think that right now, if we're not including coordinators, I think that that's the one position coach that there are some question marks, right? Because we've seen wide receiver get better under Coach Stuckey. We've seen we does anybody have any concerns about Dela McCullough as a as a running back coach? Right? I think it's how good is Joe Rudolph as an offensive line coach? That's something that I need to see. And some of the decisions that have been made, like uh, starting to get a little worried, to be honest, like I'm starting yeah. to get a little tiny bit worried. And the defensive wise, I, I Max Bull is an interesting one. I like that you included him in this Scott, because I think the linebackers definitely need to take a step forward comparative to mm. a full perspective than last season. But the defensive line, I think is the biggest one. I mean, I expect the corners to be really good. I expect the safeties to at least be solid, if not good, but Again, like you can win games with solid safety play, right? That isn't great. It's very hard to your point, Brian, and I agree to win with solid defensive yeah. line play and not really at least good, right. really good defensive line play. So if I would agree both if sides. If you're going to win with that, Ryan, you better have yeah. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Terrace Marshall you, you, is you your – better, Yeah. 
And your safeties right. better be like Ed Reed. Because right. otherwise you're Oklahoma, right? Yeah. I mean, that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what, what I would say. And, and the thing is, like, you're talking to Ryan. Like, Ryan is to linebacker like I am to quarterback, right? Like, there's <laughs> always that when a game is being played, that tends to be the position we gravitate to because it's what sure. he played. It's what – I mean, that's his baby, like quarterback is mine. Doesn't mean we don't watch others, but it's just kind of like the standard is there. But what Ryan will also tell you is, I don't care how good you are linebacker. If you don't have guys occupying blocks in front of you, then you're, you're not going to be as effective. And you want a perfect example? Go back to 2012 and watch the first half of the pit game when Notre Dame was trying to hold Lewis Nix out. Lewis was banged up. They are holding him out of that pit game, hoping they could get through the pit game without playing him. And Manti's just getting chopped just left and right because they're just getting free runs at the second level. As good as Manti was, second half, they put Lewis in the game and Manti doesn't get touched basically the rest of the second half and Notre Dame shuts Pitt down. Right? It's not a coincidence. Everyone looks at linebackers like they're these big meatheads that just are like these like tough bit, tough dudes. I'm just like, man, I, I never want to get touched when I play linebacker. Yeah. Like, don't touch yeah, me. T- let me just, you you let me wanted touch. to do the touching. Yeah, yes, you wanted exactly. to be the one initiated contact, right? Exactly. 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 So uh, now let me ask you this question a little bit, Ryan. I'll, I'll kind of take a spin on it from Scott's point. If if only if at the end of the year we are heaping praise on one of the two coordinators, mm-hmm. who would you rather that praise be heaped upon? So Jared, oh, of the coordinator? Two, yeah, so like if only one coordinator is just getting all this love after the year for the great job he did, who would you want it to be, right. Jared Parker or Al Golden? Jared Parker for me. Okay. And, and the reason I say that is because – Al Golden was fine in year one, but wasn't great, but it was still a solid defense, right? Last year, Notre Dame only averaged 31 points per game on offense. Like, it was not a good offense for Notre Dame last year. And you have Sam Hartman, you have offensive linemen coming back that were good football players last year to great football players last year. You have weapons coming back. If the offense is, like, the main talking point this year, then I feel pretty good about Notre Dame's chances because if – Notre Dame's offense is significantly better than it was last year, and their defense is just the same as it was last mm-hmm. year. They're probably making a playoff potentially. Like it's very close if in that conversation at least. So Jared Parker will be my pick out of the coordinators. Yeah. I, I think you nailed it, Ryan, because my whole thought is if Notre Dame simply is just a we have more experience in this defense version of what they were last year, but Jared right. Parker's getting all this praise for how great the offense is, Notre Dame's gonna yeah. be really flipping good. Because for yeah. all the complaining about uh, about Al Golden last year let's not forget that in the in the first three losses that they had he gave up I'm I'm doing the math now here 18 points a game not one team scored more than 21 points against them because remember Marshall scored 26 I'm not blaming Al Golden for Tyler Buckner throwing an interception to the other team that's not Al Golden's fault right that's you, you know so you gave up 21 points Ohio State I'll say it again. If I would have told all of you before the season, they're going to hold Ohio State to 21 points and they're going to have under 400 yards of offense. They're going to hold Marshall to 19 points and they're going to hold Stanford to 14 points. Or no, I'm sorry. They gave up a little bit more. They gave up 16 to Stanford. Excuse me. Let me do the math again. I said I went 14. So they they gave up, excuse me, 18.7 points per game. If I'd have said 21 points minus 400 yards of offense for Ohio State, 19 points to Marshall, and 14, 16 points to Stanford, what would you have predicted their record would have been in those games? I would have said 3-0, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So if if he just repeats that and Jared yeah. Parker gets the offense to be what we want Notre Dame's offense to eventually be, this is a hard team to beat. So that's I'm with you on that, Ryan. I think that's a, a, a great way of putting it, a great way of putting it. 
Good question, though, Scott. Coleman Smith with another question. How do you feel of replacing the Stanford rivalry with home and homes, alternating every two years with Oregon and UCLA? I, I, Coleman, I've, we've talked, Ryan, you and I talked about this, I believe, last summer, how I want to get rid of Stanford and, and just yeah. replace them with some sort of revolving West Coast thing. So I, I'm not opposed to this. I just wouldn't have it as those two schools only. Specifically, I would like more of a rotation. Yeah, like I would have yeah. UCLA, I would have Washington, I would have yeah. Arizona. I would, you know, I would mix it up a little bit. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I, I so would touch in different markets. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and I, yeah. and I don't really care about playing Oregon. To be completely honest with you, I think you do more for them than they do for you, in my opinion. And but, and that's true of the other teams, but they're close enough to you to where you helping them hurts you. It doesn't when you're right. playing Washington as much, and because you know, Washington's is, is you know already kind of a reputable program kind of thing. So, right. uh, I, I like the idea, Coleman. Obviously, I just would do it a little bit. I would just broaden my West Coast appeal. I'd play Colorado two years. I'd play like I just go from the Rockies West and say, hey, we're going to have a a home and home with one at least one of those teams. You know, so we're getting to the Big Twelve market. We're getting to the the, the sure. market formerly known as the Pac-12 market. So, you know, Washington, Colorado, Utah, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State. Like, that's what I would – and then I would occasionally have Stanford on there too. I just wouldn't have Stanford sure. as an every year thing. I, You know, I'd, I'd probably maybe rotate Stanford in every four or five turns. I'd get Stanford back on there and and do it that way. Yeah. That's what I would do. That's fair. So, I like. I heard premise. Troy. I, I heard Troy Taylor said something stupid the other day, but I don't remember what he said. Someone was talking about it, but it was some. Yeah, I didn't hear it. Historical reference that he made that he said completely incorrectly or something. I don't know. I didn't yeah. look it up. But, Doesn't yeah. shock me. Apparently, there were a couple of blunders at the Pac-12 media day as far as guys making historical references that were very incorrect. Shocker! <laughs> absolutely hysterical. Shocker! Yeah. It's like y'all can't even get that right. <laughs> Scott L. In my opinion, Tobias will be a 20 to 30 catch weapon with many explosive plays and a high high yard per catch. I predict Greathouse will catch more passes than Tobias and Tyree combined. Agree or disagree? Please explain why. If everyone's healthy, I strongly disagree. I mean, guys, look, let's not do to Jaden Greathouse what we've done to other freshmen. Where before the kids ever played a game, we start hyping him up to a degree where he literally has no way he can live up to that expectation. He's going to catch right? 11 passes a game, man. We saw the Blue yeah. Bowl game, 11 catches a game. I mean, let's go. <laughs> I just, it's absurd, right? Jayden, it really, man. That's, it, it really I'm like is. his biggest fan. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you're his biggest fan, but you're also a realist that says if we're, yes. we're going to sit there and hype this kid up to the degree that if he goes out there and has 35 catches, some people are going to be disappointed by that. Because of yeah, how much we're hyping him out right now, hyping him up right now. The only way he has more catches than Tobias and Tyree combined is if there's major injuries. Yeah. That's it. Now, also, I'm curious. I'm curious, Scott. Like, what? Why is the? Where is there peasant? Is there like a pessimistic thing about Tobias to only have twenty to thirty catches? Yes, a because very low number because he's not dominating in practice against the best corner, uh, arguably the best cornerback tandem in college football, gotcha. and so now. You know, the, the 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 talk becomes, oh, he's not this, he's not that, he's this, he's, he's that. Right, yeah. exactly. What would Tobias be looking like in practice if he was going against Navy's corners every day in practice? Or sure. Tennessee State's, or NC State's, or, or Central Michigan's, or Duke's, or Louisville's, or USC's, or Pitt's, or, I mean, you guys want me to go down the schedule and keep doing this? 
there is not a better cornerback group that Tobias Merriweather is, or Jaden Thomas, or Deion Colsey, or anybody else is going to face all year than that duo. And I'm going to remind you again, in all the practices we've been at, all the people in attendance have seen Jaden Thomas or Jaden Greathouse, as much as we love them, catch a pass over Benjamin Morrison or Cam Hart. We've seen that a grand total of zero times. And this is not taking away from Jaden. My whole thing is, can we not pump the, can we please not do to him what we did to like Jerry Tillery and some other guys where we hyped them up so much where, cause here's what happens. One person writes about a guy and then everybody else feels like they have to follow suit because they don't want to be left out about not talking about a guy. That's why Jordan Faison's right. getting talked about all the time. I love what I'm seeing from Jordan Faison. I mean, Ryan, who were the people that had Jordan Faison on their signing day show because of how much we liked his film? Uh, us, yeah. right? Yep. But let's not now turn this into, oh, he's going to play more than Chris Tyree now in, in this I, kind I of also, nonsense, right? It's I also like, wrote a couple pieces about Faison even before yes, we had did. him on the show because I liked him. Yes, you yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. He's a good football player. But it's like, well, one site talks about him, and now everybody feels the need they have to talk about Jordan Faison. I'm a bit, a bit hyperbolic because not everybody does yeah. that, but a lot of people do. And so that's what's happening to, to Jaden right now is like we're now we're now taking him to a freshman that you and I were excited about that we said was going to play, yeah. was going to help Notre Dame out who I'm excited to see, to now we're turning him into like, oh, he's going to be their best receiver this year. I hope – I mean, if he is, great, that's fine. But let's not put that kind of pressure on him to say, well, this is what he's going to do because then if he doesn't live up – like let's just say he has 25, 20 catches this year for 350 yards. It's a pretty darn good freshman season, especially yeah. with how much talent their team has a receiver. But it's going to be looked at as, well, maybe he wasn't as good as we thought. <laughs> no, sure. he's a freshman on a pretty deep receiving core. And any, yeah. like anything he does beyond that is gravy to me, barring injury. Now, if there's an injury, you're going to need Jaden to produce like a starter, in my opinion. But as of right now, that hasn't happened. And during the course of his career, Jane Greyhouse is going to be a great player for Notre Dame. Oh, gosh, just yes. About, when's but, the but my point is, right, let's not just level. think he's going to be 90 catch guy as a freshman. Sure. You know, like sure. now, if, now if, yeah. Scott, if you were to say, is there a chance that Jaden could have more catches than Tobias and Chris Tyree? individually i'd actually say that's possible because the thing about tyree and tobias is they're going to be those guys to his point big plays because i don't think scott's question is necessarily from a negative about those two guys i think he's looking at it as like they're going to have like you know 20 catches and average 20 yards a catch so you know where Jaden's going to be more of the volume guy that catches 50 60. catches. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's kind of how I'm taking Scott's question also. Uh, and, and I, and I'm, as I read through it, I think that's actually where he's coming from. And I, I could, I see where you're coming from, but even then the combined thing is where I have a problem. If you were to say to me, however, Ryan, that Jaden will have more catches than Tobias and he'll have more catches than Chris Tyree, I'd say, I think that might actually happen because Chris Tyree could get to 100 yards on three catches where Jaden would probably need six or seven or maybe eight. Tobias yeah. could get to 100 yards on four catches. Where So, okay, that's that's fair. I think that would be fair. But when you say combined, that's right. That's where I, disagree. That's where I have a, a disagreement with you, Scott, right. is that part right there. Yeah. Christopher Crosby says, once Kirk Ferentz retires, do you do you think that will be Phil Parker's job or do you think they will have a national search? I wouldn't want to lose that guy if I was them. Phil Parker, yeah. How old is Phil Parker? He's older, isn't he? Yeah, I uh, he's 60. Okay. He's actually I, not as old as I thought he was. I thought he was more like mid-60s. But yeah. yeah, I mean, 
Ryan, Would he, he want that job? I don't know. He's been a I, lifelong defensive coordinator, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he's. I mean, he's been at Iowa since 1999. Yeah. I just, I think it would kind of be one of those things where you would want to say to whoever the new head coach is, if you're coming, you're keeping this guy, and he's, you know, and, and any like, coach is worth like his Bud salt. Foster treatment his last yeah. couple years, of Virginia but any coach worth his salt, yeah. like, and it will almost be like a litmus test for me. Like, what yeah. do you think about having Bud Phil Parker stay as a defensive coordinator? And if a coach is like, well, you know, I like what coach did, but, you know, we got some owner ideas. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Run along. Right. You know, but if guys right. like, are you kidding me? Like, why would yeah. I not want to have Phil Parker? Like, look, I mean, you know, then, okay, yeah. that guy, yeah. check. You know, box yeah. checked. You know, that kind right. of thing. But if Iowa was smart, if Phil, if Kirk Ferentz retires, to me, if mm-hmm. Iowa was smart, they're going to go out there and find an offensive-oriented head coach, and maybe even a guy from the FCS level, some guy whose offenses put up points that are a little bit more modern, and say, "You, if you can give me just some of this, what you're doing with Phil Parker's defense, we got a chance to be really freaking good." Now, the other thing too is Phil Parker's defense also benefits from the fact that their offense is kind of a ball control offense. So I don't want some like up-tempo, 100 plays a game. The defense is always on the field because then you take away from what makes Iowa's defense good. But some kind of happy medium, Ryan. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. like if you could take if you could take David Shaw's 2011, 2012, 2015 version of Stanford and put that on this Iowa defense. Yep. Mm-hmm, OK, sure. now we're doing sure. something, you know, right. now we're doing something. Would I hire an air raid coach? No. Yeah. Could it work with a spread coach? Yeah, could for sure. For sure. Uh, so that's kind of my thoughts on that. But I just I don't know what 60 because like if you hire a 60 year old as a head coach, the reality is you're going to be looking for a new head coach somewhat soon again. Yeah. And you then the, you get into the recruiting negative yeah. pitches of like, right. is he even going to be there when you right. graduated? Right. Because Kirk Ferentz yeah. is 68. They're not that far yeah. apart. You know who no. I would honestly look at? And this may sound crazy to some of you all, but you know who Brian I would on, honestly? Huh? Ryan Ferentz. I'm just kidding. No. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I'm being. You know, I would honestly look at considering elevating to the head coach is Lavar Woods. Seriously, if you're going to hire from within, I'd promote Lavar Woods. He's their special teams coordinator right now. Yeah, uh, he yeah. played at Iowa. He's been at Iowa since '08. Played in the NFL for a few years. Ryan, I believe he played linebacker at, at yeah, Iowa. Let me let me go. Huh? He did. Let me go. I look. believe he did. Okay. Yeah, he played linebacker. He's been there yeah. forever. He was the guy that was kind of like, of course, I had my number one targeted special teams coordinator because it's a friend of mine, and it would always be good to have a friend of mine on the staff here. But then you take that away, there was no better candidate for that job than LeVar Woods. Well, if I'm LeVar Woods, I'm thinking, well, I'm not taking that job because I think I might have a shot to be the head coach at Iowa next. Like, I, I, I have a thing about special teams coaches being head coaches, and not yeah. enough people do it. But I think a good special teams coach, if he's not one of those quirky special teams coaches and LeVar Woods doesn't seem like that, I think those are good head – just like catchers are great managers, those guys are thinking situational football all the time. Yeah. You know, they're disciplined guys. They're fundamentals guys. They're you got to do your job and do it well or the whole thing doesn't work, right? Like on offense, Ryan, one receiver could run the wrong route, but if everybody else does their job, you're good to go. If one guy screws up on your kick return on your kick coverage team, guess what? That sucker's going back, right? Sure. And I just look at, at what he does. That to me would make a lot of sense for Iowa as a football program. So if you're and then now it's going to be even easier to keep Phil Parker because he coached Phil Parker. Or I mean, Phil Parker coached Lavar Woods at Iowa. 
so he he let me see when his playing career at Iowa was. He played so he would have been done in 2000 was his last year, which means Phil Parker coached him his last two years at Iowa. So and then of course they've coached together since 2008. They've coached together. And so I think that would be a really really smart move uh, if you're going to hire from within. It would be to hire LeVar Woods. That's the that's the direction I would go. If Iowa wanted to hire from within, that's where I would go. Christopher Crosby says, given the lack of depth at the safety position, how many snaps do you see the freshman getting? I would imagine one or both will play at some point this season. Uh, Christopher, I don't necessarily accept the premise about there being a lack of depth at safety. You've got Xavier Watts, you've got Ramon Henderson, you've got DJ Brown, you've got Antonio Carter, and you've got Thomas Harper, all capable of playing safety before you have to get to a freshman. So I think you'd have to have an injury there before you'd have to get to a freshman. And so uh, how many do I see the freshman getting? I don't know that it's a given because Ben Ben Minnick was on pace to do that because he had a really good spring. But he's been banged up most of fall camp, and he, and he missed half the spring with an injury. So I, I don't know that the freshmen are going to play a ton this year at safety, and I don't think they have to play a ton at safety this year because you do have the five – because we often forget about Thomas Harper. He's the nickel. You don't want to have to move him. But if it got, came down to it, you may feel more comfortable putting him at safety than just putting Clarence Lewis in at the slot in the nickel than you would putting a freshman in there who's maybe not ready. So I, I don't know that we're there yet from a depth standpoint. Now, listen, next year we could be in a situation where freshmen have to play because you could lose Xavier. You're, you're going to lose DJ Brown. You could lose. You're going to lose Thomas Harper, I believe. You could lose Xavier Watts, and you could lose Ramon Henderson, depending on whether or not those guys want to come back for their fifth season. So next year we may be in a situation where the freshmen have to play. Not, not, I'm not talking the freshman, a.k.a. the current freshman. I'm talking about next year's freshman because there's a, a chance, and I don't know if it's a great chance, but there's a chance that the only three returners you could have at safety next year are Antonio Carter, Ben Minnick, and Adon Schuler. That's it. So, Ryan, what I had said – while you're out is I don't know that there's a necessarily a lack of depth right now where freshmen have to play. Cause you do have Xavier Ramon, um, DJ Brown, Antonio Carter, and Thomas Harper. They can right. all play safety. So I don't know that you're in a situation where you have to play the freshman as, as of right now. So I don't know if you agree, if you want to add to that or if, if you're on the same page with that. Yeah. No, I mean, I think as long as Antonio Carter and, you know, a couple of guys you're depending on hold their end of the bargain, I think it's more a, if a Don Schuller or Ben Minnick or guys this year play a significant amount of snaps it's because they were too good to keep off the field, right. right? At some point this season. They earned so it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Next question is from NH. Thank you for the question. Do you have any lucky rituals for watching a game, lucky socks, etc.? No, I'm not playing in the game, so I don't have any yeah. rituals in that sense. <laughs> I didn't have any rituals when I played or coached either. I had habits. So it wasn't like if I didn't wear this or if I didn't do this, I we were going to lose because I felt we'd have bad luck. But there were things I did where it's like, this was part of my routine. This is part of my getting ready for a game routine. I would say the closest thing that I had to a ritual was when I was coaching uh, at Christopher Newport, I, during one of the camps, uh, one of the, the trainers, I think her name was Rachel. She gave me a, this caramel and green apple sucker and I loved it. And she gave it to me before a game one time. So it's just kind of like, it, it became sort of like a, it wasn't like a ritual. Like if I didn't get it, I thought we we're going to lose. But again, it becomes a habit. I'm a, a football players and coaches, Ryan, are creatures of habit. You get into routines, and so it's like more Sean, routine. You're like yeah. Sean Payton with his juicy fruit. That's the only thing right. that he can eat. But it's a routine. It's not so much if I didn't have this before a game, we were going to lose. Right. It wasn't that kind of thing. It's more routine. Uh, so yeah. it's it's not so much lucky lucky socks or anything like that. Um, it's more, you know, it's just more routine for me. Right. But uh, yeah. I don't have anything, especially when I watch, like just, I don't watch the same. I don't wear the same thing every week. I don't right. eat the same thing. Like it's just watch the game, man. What happens right. happens. Right. I would say if I, if I wasn't working Notre Dame and we were, and I was watching every game from home, I'd probably have the same food all the time because that's you, Ryan, you know, I'm just, that's just how I am. I just, I don't, I, I, I like certain things and I just, I like it. It's it wouldn't be because oh crap we had nachos last week. We gotta have nachos this week or Notre Dame. We're eating nachos until Notre Dame loses. <laughs> it's not. It's just I like nachos, right? It would be more about that than anything else. Yeah. Good question though. Another one from NH who says, "What is the non-Notre Dame game you're most looking forward to seeing?" LSU Florida State's one that pops up immediately, yeah. obviously in the beginning of the season. Kind you know of a, why that? But yeah. but it's because it's early, Ryan. For me, yeah. Right. Like I can't think about Michigan Ohio State. Because it's like it's so far down the road, right? Like I like those early season games. We're going to learn something about people, right? So I think of you know Utah, Florida last year. I look at LSU, Florida State last year, and LSU, Florida State this year. It's those early season games that I kind of tend to look look forward to the most. There's always the rivalry games. I'm looking forward to seeing you know LSU, Alabama. I'm looking forward to seeing Michigan, Ohio State. I'm looking forward to you know Texas, Oklahoma, just because. They're rivalry games, but man, I, I really am curious to see because I think those, I think those two move those two that game those two teams we're gonna learn so much about them in that game in my right. opinion and in, in the in the narrative, and then here's another interesting angle, the ACC Ryan has a chance this year with some of the games that they play to really make some noise as a football conference. Because I think the best thing for, for the ACC to do is if the ACC can can start being really good again, you've already got Notre Dame as part of your your, your apparatus. And this is what you guys can say, well, they're not part of the league. Yes, they are. Go look at the numbers of – go look at Duke's numbers and, and different teams in that league and see, see what their numbers look like when they're playing each other compared to where they're playing Notre Dame, right? But you have that. If Clemson can stay good, if Miami starts getting good again, if Florida State starts getting good again, if North Carolina can be good, if, if, the, if the league can really thrive, then all of a sudden they have more value. That's just the reality of it because more fans start paying attention. The, the common fan starts paying more attention. And so to me, that's kind of where I look at it as well, Ryan, is, is you want to start seeing some of these teams 
you know, start winning some of those games, start having some of that success. And that for, for the ACC, that's what that Florida state LSU game can be, right? It really can. It can be that game where you can say, Hey, look, we are, we are not messing around. So like if North Carolina and, it, and it's the same weekend, let's just say hypothetically that North Carolina beats South Carolina and Charlotte and Florida state beats LSU. Yeah. You don't think that kind of starts having people talking about, you know, what, what those teams, you know, what the ACC is doing and the ACC is not that conference that everybody thinks about. Let's say then Virginia Tech beats Purdue. Okay, those are two bottom feeder type of programs. But, hey, your bottom feeders are better than the other bottom feeders. And then that same this – is, this is week two now, mind you. And then let's say that same weekend uh, you look at some other things. Miami beats Texas A&M. Pittsburgh beats Cincinnati. You know what I mean? Like you start getting in some of these these big game opportunities, and if you're looking at it from the ACC standpoint, you've got some chances to go up against the big boy conferences and come away with some big wins early. You know, North Carolina plays Minnesota, uh, Georgia. Let's let's just say hypothetically, Georgia Tech goes on the road and beats upsets Ole Miss. You, you know, so there's a lot of those Pitt, West Virginia. There's a lot of those matchups where the ACC can really handle their business. The narrative around that conference changes. How does that impact how this whole thing is viewed? Does does that mean more revenue starts coming into these teams? I, I, it's a, we'll see. But I think that's also why that game matters a lot to me, Ryan, because you know Notre Dame does have a vested interest in the ACC surviving. In my opinion, if the ACC goes away, I think that's just one step closer to maybe the chance that there is uh, Notre Dame being forced into a league. Although I don't think that's really a thing right now. That would increase the odds that it happens if the ACC survives. And there's no chance that Notre Dame is forced into a league. They would then right. join when, because they want to. And that's the sure. thing for me is if Notre Dame wants to get into a league, get into a league. I'm at the point now where it's like, okay, I want to be independent, but if you decide you need to do this, whatever, it is what it is. I don't want them to be forced into a league because if they're forced into a league, they will have no say. They will have no sure. power, no authority. If they go into a league on their own terms, part of the terms will be, hey, we have a big say in this. You know, We're, yeah. we're going to be treated with the respect we deserve. And uh, that's kind of why I would say – I would, I would go against that. So the ACC survival is good for Notre Dame. And so if the ACC can come out this year and say, Hey, we can, we can play with them, beat those teams. I think that that's good. And that's just kind of why I've had my eye on a lot of these early season ACC versus SEC, ACC versus big 10 matchups. Say if the ACC can really not just hold their own, but maybe thrive in those matchups, especially the marquee ones, South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, Miami, Texas A&M. And then of course, Florida State LSU, the narrative could start changing a little bit about the ACC, which then impacts Notre Dame's narrative because Notre Dame dominates the ACC. You know what I mean? So that's another reason I'm looking at it that way as well, Ryan. That's fair. We had Rob Osgood who says, do you have a favorite coach you played for, coached with, or coached or watched as a fan? If so, who? I think I already talked about this, Rob. I mean, obviously I didn't play for him, but I always had a admiration for Gary Patterson as a coach. Mm-hmm. I always did. I, I don't know if it's just the defensive minded side of me, I guess, but I always just thought he was kind of revolutionary. I mean, you look at from college football to NFL and even a lot of high schools now, I mean, the four two five has become a staple of how people do things right. And kind of the spread out era. And that was because of Gary Patterson, like he was the first mm-hmm. guy that really utilized that on, on a snap to snap base defense perspective. Like that was his thing, right? Umbrella coverage and four, two, five and, transforming the nickel position into maybe a little bit of a different 
spot than you would typically think of, right? It wasn't just a nickel corner that he would throw out there. He would have a big nickel. He'd have some different type of rover type bodies. And so I think for me, it would be 425 Gary Patterson. That was the guy that I gravitated towards. I mean, when I was coming out of high school, that was the defense that I studied the most. Like that was the one, 425 Gary Patterson. He was an exceptional coach when he was in his early mid years at TCU before everything fell apart at the end. Especially Ryan, I felt when he was in the Mountain West, because I just I really liked watching those TCU teams, and then they'd go to postseason games and hold their own or win games. And yeah, I, I agree. That's a yep. guy that I had a lot of respect for. I'm I'm just going to kind of talk about. Um, for me, it was it, the, the question was you know coached or played for. I coached with a guy named Mike Donnelly who was the head coach at Muhlenberg College. And I learned more about football in my year and a half with Coach Donnelly than I did anyone else, like every other coach I've worked with combined. And it wasn't about X's and O's and scheme and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I learned a lot about that. It was just more about what does it mean to be a coach? You know, and uh, he passed away somewhat recently. But, you know, and then just how to treat people. And he was a real, like, kind of like gruff guy. He was like, not to say gruff. He was really smart. And so I think a tad socially awkward. A little bit, Ryan, like he was one of those kind of guys that, um, you know, that that kind of that that mad genius defensive coordinator type of guy, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah, but he would just I've said this before. he would do little things like he'd give me like a, you know, a $50 bill or $100 bill and say, hey, go get us lunch. Keep the change. Lunch was costing like 15 bucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> and just and that's just the kind of things he would do because he knew I was making $3,000 a year. You know what I mean? And so he just was that kind of guy. And um, I had a great deal of respect for him. Uh, and learned a lot about a lot about him and of course as a coach i mean as a as a as a notre dame fan obviously lou holtz is obviously someone i I loved watching his teams play back in the day because he uh one thing lou always understood whatever you thought about his offense or defense lou understood this is a physical game we're going to play it physically and uh i'm going to have an article about this weekend about this ryan but that's that's something we're not talking enough about from practices Mm-hmm. yes, skill and all this, but the intensity and the physicality that we've seen at practices has been something like, okay, hmm, is this going to carry into the season? Because I like what I'm seeing. This team gets after it. They get after it. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to, how it's going to play out. Next question is from Gideon Rosso says, rank these three as edge rushers, Jared verse JT to a and Harold Perkins. Harold Perkins isn't really an edge rusher. They put him at like inside linebacker and just rushing through A and B gaps yeah. all the time. Like, I don't even know if I consider he him an edge will, rusher. He will rush off the edge at times, but I wouldn't call him an edge rusher. He's 6'2", 220 Ryan. pounds. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a movable he, chess piece in the second yes. level is how I would call yes. him. Uh, I think that's perfect. He He's who will rush off the edge, but not – like Jalen Sneed will rush off the edge this year. I promise you that. But he's not an edge rusher. He's 220 pounds, to your point. Can we right. just can we just rank these as defensive players then? Can yeah. we do that? Well, if we're going to do it as edge rushers, it's exactly yeah. how he has the list, right? I mean, that's sure. Yeah. If we're going to do if we're going to do it as defensive players, then I would flip Harold and JT. Agree. Yeah, I would have the same. Yep, Jared Verse okay. would be number one. Harold Perkins would be the second best defensive player, and then JT, who was a good player, but not quite into that stratosphere yet, in my opinion. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. If Harold Perkins is the best of those guys this year, but it's like you said, Ryan, it's, it's, he would kind of need that jump. I also think that 
Uh, Ryan, want to get your opinion on this because I know you've studied this film a lot more than me. I don't think we saw the best version of Jared Verse either. I think there's still room for him to get used to playing at this level and playing against that type of, type of competition where you know maybe his he there's some moves he's going to win with this year that he didn't use last year. He could get away with certain things at Albany that he couldn't get away with last year. He was also a little banged up a couple of times during the season too. And if he yeah. can be healthy then. So I, I think we could see an even more dominant version of, of it may not show statistically because his statistics were already pretty flipping good last year. But just a more consistently every snap, just dominant player. I think we could even see a better version of Jared Verse this year because he's now in year two, kind of like what you talked about with Cameron Ward, a quarterback. You know, yeah. year two at this level, you could see some improvement. I don't know that it'll be a statistical one, but when you break down the film, like this guy just completely changes the game even more than what we saw from him in year one. Well, I think I think the I think it actually could show production wise because I mean I. I think if he doesn't get banged up, he probably has 12 sacks and 20 tackles for loss last year. I think it was very possible. And I think I actually think that Florida State's defense is going to be a little bit better than they were last year as well. So I don't I even though I think that teams are going to try to key on Jared Verse early, I think they're gonna be like, that Patrick Payton guy on the other side's pretty good, man. Like he's not a bad player. They had the one defensive tackle that decided to come back, Fabian Lovett. Like there's some other guys on that defense I think are pretty good. So I actually think that the the production could take a step forward this yeah, year. and he was the guy who went 17 and nine last year ryan yeah. in 12 games yeah. yes. and they also got Braden fisk obviously as, as an inside guy yeah. as well to help him out so you can't really key on him you really can't yeah. i i just think he could he's still there's still room for him to be an even better foot but if even if he just repeats what he did last year he's still number one on this list his his game against lsu was one of the best defensive yeah. games anybody had last year yeah. he was dominant against that team and he had one, two, three, four games last season with two plus tackles for loss. Yeah. And there was only one game all season he didn't have a tackle for loss. And that's the game that he got hurt in against Louisville. That's it. Yep. So, I mean, he made at least a half a tackle for loss or in one game against Florida. He had at least one in every other game. And then he had at least he had two and a half in four different games last yep. season. And that's what I look for, Ryan. It's that consistency of production. It's not where, like, remember when Jerron Jones had, like, 11 tackles for loss that one year and, like, six of them came against Miami? There was a lot of games that year where Jerron didn't have any production, right? I mean, tackle for loss production. That's not to take away from Jerron. It's just just pointing out that give me the guy that's getting me something every single week over the guy that has a couple. Like, Jerry Tillery had eight sacks that one year. Didn't, like, four of them come against Stanford? That means in the other 11 games, he had four sacks. Or other 12 games, he had four sacks. Right, that doesn't make you a great pass rusher. It means you had a great game. You know what I mean? And that's the thing I like about about Jared Verse, Ryan, is he didn't have that one big game. He had two sacks against LSU. He never had another game with more than a sack until the Oklahoma game, bowl game. He had one and a half. So I mean, yeah. it's not like he racked it all up in one big game. He's really good. If y'all haven't watched Jared Verse play, uh, key on him in the LSU Florida State game. It's going to be fun to watch. Recruiting ranking people won't like Jared Burst, though, because he was a zero-star recruit that started at Albany. That's right. So So he can't be good. He can't be that good. good. Can't be good. Uh, NH, what are the biggest differences in team culture atmosphere you've noticed between this year and last year? Well, it's hard for us to really answer that, NH, because Ryan was at last year's camp and not this year's. And I've been at this year's camp and not last year's. I will put it to you this way, because I don't want to ignore your question. Based on the conversations we've had that, that you know Ryan and I had about last year's camp and Sean Davis and I had and I had with other people that cover the team, this year's team is a lot more physical than last year's team was. 
Mark, I've had a couple of people ask me this. It's like, Marcus Freeman seemed like a little bit edgier to you this year. And I'm like, yes, he absolutely is. Like he's just like last year, Ryan, you'd see coach Freeman kind of by the linebackers, but like back, right? Is that kind of what you saw? He kind of lingered like today. I'm they're doing a linebacker drill and he's just like right there, just like watching every step. Like he's super detailed. He's, you know, in just, he's, a, he's, he's definitely a little edgier. I think is a good way of putting it. Cause it's not like he's angry or just short, you know, short circuited or short tempered, I should say. Uh, it's just, it's an intensity. And guess what? Maybe as well to a degree. hundred percent because yeah. his team is that way. Yeah. Right. And when they weren't, when they were taking guys to the ground the other day, you didn't hear coaches yelling, stay up, stay off the ground. You didn't hear that. Like, like you have in the past. Cause I think it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, you know, be smart, but I want, I don't, I don't want to pull that back. I want this team to just be like, just rabid dogs. Maybe just want to turn them loose. Right. right. You, that, you don't just do that on Saturday. That's got to be developed. And, and I think that is the biggest difference from what I see this year to, to compared to what I saw or what I was told we saw last year, but keep in mind, that's yep. with me not having been at fall camp last year, but that's, sure. I mean, did you think this was an, an an overly physical, just feisty, just get after it team in the practices that you that you saw last year, Ryan? No, I, w- I would just call it energetic. I wouldn't yeah. necessarily go that far, though. Yeah. yeah, this team has that same energy, but it is a physicality about this team that I really like that I haven't seen really since 2017. To be completely honest with you, interesting. Paul Hamilton, can we get your outlook on Kyle McCord for the 2023 season? I I like Kyle McCord, Ryan, for a college quarterback. I think he's a good system quarterback. He's got a decent arm. I think he's a, a quality athlete. He can move around the pocket. He's a kid that's got a little bit of experience. He's not a guy that's going to have this big monster arm that's going to throw a bunch of bunch of deep balls. But at the, at the same time, that's not really what Ohio State's offense is all about. You know, I think he can execute that offensive effectively and efficiently. You know, he's a guy that went 16 of 20 last year uh, for 80% completion rate. Started a game the year before against Akron, went 13 of 18 for 319 yards with C.J. Stroud out after the Tulsa game. Yeah. So you know, he, he's a quality quarterback. Is he a guy that's gonna gonna put a team on his shoulders? And you know, he's more Dwayne Haskins than he is Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud, right? You know what I mean? Like, see, Dwayne Haskins was good in that offense, but he was his numbers were were it was he was pocket quarterback that fit that system and and was just gonna put up numbers, but not necessarily a guy that I felt was going to put a team on his shoulders and will them to victory. An elevator. Yeah. Yeah. And Kyle McCord to me is more like that. And that's not an insult. I mean, Dwayne Haskins was a good quarterback and that was a really good Ohio State team. He went in the first round as well. Right. And and they were what, 13 and one that year, Ryan, and beat a pretty decent Washington team in a bowl game. Uh, It's just more about, it's just a different style of play is, is what I'm referring to. And so He'll put a team on a sh- he'll he'll put up numbers this year. Is he a guy that's gonna like you said, Ryan? I think that's a great way of saying. It. Is he an elevator? That I don't know, and sure. and I don't know that he has that. But can he run that offense? Sure. I think Devin Brown is a little bit more of the playmaker type of guy, but I don't know that I, Devin Brown has the other tools you want to execute that offense. In my I, opinion, I've been talking about this like slightly through this offseason. I think Devin Brown's going to be the starter, guys. Like, I just do. We'll see if I'm right or I'm wrong yeah. about that. I just – there's just a weird vibe out there. And I know Ohio State, I have this in, in good authority, is very high on Devin Brown. Yeah. Very, very I'm high. I'm not as high on him. Yeah. 
to it. I think yeah. he'll make more mistakes. I think he'll make more plays. He'll make more highlight plays. Part of me wonders if they're looking at Devin Brown as a panic reaction to Michigan with J.J. McCarthy. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. But, I, I, yeah. I just, I just look at the situation of all I heard was Kyle McCord was a lot better in the spring and Devin Brown didn't finish the spring with the injury. So you would think a year older, a guy that's been in the system multiple years, rides the offseason and then quickly kind of asserts his will on the on the job, right? It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it, man. It's not like it's an even split. And if it is an even split, and I said this on Twitter earlier, and I truly believe this, if this plays out long, right, and we're, we get to maybe two weeks before the season, a week before the season, and then the announcement makes, I think it's going to be Devin Brown at that point. It wouldn't shock me. So you're I, saying I, the longer I, it goes, the longer it goes, the more, more chance Devin it Brown. is. It's yeah. Devin Brown. That's fair. Yeah, but I, think, fair. I think if it's, I think if it's that close, I think they'll defer to Devin Brown a hundred percent. I think if Kyle McCord had to kill every part of this offseason, and if it's like tightly neck and neck right now after the lead he had out of spring, I think that that's yeah. a little bit telling, in my opinion. I think this is going to be Devin Brown in the end. We'll which see. I don't, I don't have, I don't have opinion one way or the other. Yeah. I've never seen Devin Brown play. It's just. Vibe I'm getting, so we shall see. Yeah. Here's an interesting non-football question, Ryan, from Irish yeah. for Life. Irish for Life. What other time period could you imagine yourself being born in? Huh. Never thought about this one. That's an interesting I, question. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't know. I guess the only thing I would say is I would have liked to have been a little older in the 80s than I was. Okay. I and mean, I was 12 when the 80s ended. Maybe if I could have been 20. But then that would have meant I'd have been a little a little older in the 70s, and I don't know how much I would have liked that. But that's probably it. I mean, I, you know, I, I it's kind of funny, right? Like, I got some old school tendencies and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, but I wouldn't want to go back to this time. Yeah, this part of that time was cool, but, you know, I, I like the fact that I have 100 channels to choose from and not three. Right. Sure. You know, I, I like the fact that we have running toilets and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, there are aspects of past eras that we could maybe do, like making my own bread. You know, you used to have to do that if you wanted to have bread, right? Okay, well, I can still do that, you know, but sure. I like the option of if I'm busy, I can just go buy it <laughs> from somewhere, you know, but I mean, I mean, I could, I could get really, you know, give you like the, oh, I'd like to have been born in the time of Jesus. Like, no, not really. Like, it'd have been cool to like see him, but like, no, not really. I'm, I'm good. I kind of yeah. like the era I was born in. Maybe I could say if I could have just been born five to ten years, five five to ten years earlier, that'd be about it. My, my impulse was the seventies at first because I feel like I actually love the genre of music a lot in the seventies yeah. and eighties due to my parents. But then I'm also thinking I may actually want to go forward if I could. Can I go into the future? I mean, I don't know. I kind of want to see yeah. what it looks like, you know? I do. It's the unknown. It's like Pandora's box. I just sure. want to open Pandora's box and see what's inside. Like, All I know <laughs> is every time a movie is made about opening Pandora's ba- box, bad things happen. That's oh, all no, I know. It always, it always yeah. ends really well. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's funny though, Ryan, I just thought about this. If I was yeah. born in the late 60s or 1970 where I could have been older in the 80s, that would mean that there would likely be some really pictures of me with eighties hair that I would have regretted. Yeah. So that is the one good thing that I could say about when I was born is by the time I got old enough to where I might've even considered having one of those crazy hairdos, I would have been, mm-hmm. it would have been I, out of style. Thank God. Yeah, I think I'm going to go to the 2070s and I'm going to meet robot Ryan. 
and just okay. see how he's doing. So I think that's what we're gonna do. And you're gonna go visit your own head, which is cryogenically frozen at the at the time, and and controlling took, robot Ryan. They, they took they took my brain out. They put it in a robot, and this oh. is what we're doing. Lives forever. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Let's go with that. <laughs> All right, here we go. Question from Iris. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want to go meet Robot Ryan. I can't get over that comment. That was awesome. Yeah. I want to I mean, go forward to meet Robot point, Ryan. Right? Like there's, there's no oh way that my it doesn't gosh. happen at some point. That was too funny. Iris flooded. <laughs> More room for potential growth from last year to this year based on results and talents. Defensive line or linebacker group? Well, the D line relative to where the, this these specific players were. Yeah. Like, I think if we're going to look at results of this year's linebacker group compared to last year's D-line group, I think the result jump could be even bigger linebacker, Ryan, because I don't think last year's linebacker core was overly productive, especially outside of right. J.D. Bertrand. But if you look at the specific players within the D-line, then I think the jump there will be a lot bigger because, you know, sure. we didn't see as much of Patelho. Riley didn't play it. You know what I mean? But as far as just comparing this year's D-line to last year's D-line, and this year's linebackers to last year's linebackers, I'd go linebacker as units. Uh, I Because I think the D-line will produce. But last year's D-line actually had pretty decent production as a unit. It was one of the more productive D-lines Notre Dame has had. There, will be, there needs to be more improvement. And I would say it's not the production as much as, as – needs to be better ryan it's a consistency of that production like we'd see the flashy games like racking up a bunch of tackles for loss and sacks against cal but not against usc right but i think at linebacker there needs to be a big jump in production which you know results in production and that type of thing where i think we're going to see the biggest growth in talent is going to be on the d line because i think there's going to be some really young talented guys being thrown out there you know instead of chris smith we're going to see jason onye Chris Smith did a great job in his role last year, but Jason Onye is more talented, right? right? I mean, you know, we saw Isaiah Foskey and Jordan Patel who, who were really talented last year, but so was Jordan, Jordan Patel and Josh Burnham and Jay Jr. Chialamaka. I think the talent at big end for that position is going to be a little better. I think Javante Jean-Pete has more talent at that end position than that Notre Dame wants as opposed to Riley Mills, who's more like the Clark Lee type of big end, you know, the bigger, you know, edge setter, that type of guy. So I think the talent jump is going to be bigger on the D line. I, I hope that the Same. production jump is bigger on the offense, the linebacker. Cause also if the D line is really disruptive and productive, a lot of times they're not necessarily the ones that always reap the benefits of that from a production standpoint. Sometimes it's the three technique just blows up the offensive line and forces the running back to cut. And the linebacker is the one there clean it up. It was really right. the D tackle or the nose tackle that made the play, but the linebacker gets the number. Right. And that's, and that's where I look at it. My mind kind of went to like individual players on both of those units. So like I think of it as linebackers, you have all three starting linebackers back and like, yeah, they can take a jump in production, but they're all seniors, right? Like they all are kind of what they are at this point for the most part. I still think there's improvements that could be made, but I think of like Jordan Patelho last year was a part-time player. I mean, I he could make a tremendous jump this year, like right. based on what he was last year. Right. Riley Mills is playing a old but new position now, right? And and you could right. see a big jump from him. I think you could see a big jump from what Gabriel Rubio was in 2022 compared to what he could be in 2023. None of us had any expectations for Jason Onye in 2022. Now 2023, he's now on the radar mm-hmm. for everyone to be a potential impact player at some point. 
this season. So I would actually lean defensive line just because I'm kind of comparing where the individual players were from last year. Like Maris mm-hmm. can make a huge jump in in production, but we also know Maris at this point. Like we just right. know him a little bit more. I think the unknown is making me gravitate more towards the defensive line. I right. feel like that group is very – it's very – I don't want to say volatile. Volatile is not the right world, word. But there is a lot of potential for that group and a lot of unknown potential in that group. Like I think yeah. it could be really good, or it could still be a year away from being. How, how about saying like, it this way, Ryan? Am I reading yeah. you correctly? There's a bigger difference between the floor and the ceiling to the D line, oh, specifically yeah. as players compared to linebacker, because we 100%. already kind of know the floor with the linebackers, right? We don't know oh, yeah, what the 100%. floor is with those guys. 100%. Just to your point, if this is kind of where I was coming from too, is if. Jordan Patelho breaks out and has 14 tackles for loss and 11 sacks. That's a huge jump in production for him. It's identical to what that position produced a year ago. Right. Sure. So it depends on how you're looking at it. Are you looking at it as the individual right. players or what the unit yeah. produced? So it, it just kind of depends on, on the way that you look at it. But very, I think yeah. it's a very good. Hopefully it's both. Well, right. Yeah. Both make a pretty big jump. That'd be <laughs> ideal. Yeah, ideally yeah. ideal hopefully safety is also hopefully in that conversation of like yeah. taking a legitimate production jump you know like yeah. that's right happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing american families time is short before something big happens and that's why so many folks are preparing they're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from my patriot supply go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com